Great, well, we're going to turn uh, to the book of Jonah. It is great to see you this afternoon. I love the fact that songs that I was singing when I was a teenager are new ones. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, we're going to uh, have a look at the book of Jonah. Uh, it's on page 928 in the church Bibles, page 928. And, it, and it's been a little bit bitty, but we're sort of um, going through Jonah with little breaks from other people preaching. And, and um, so a few weeks ago, we looked at Jonah chapter 1. And it'd be easy to think as you come to the book of Jonah that it's a fairly simple story about a man who runs away from God ends up in a storm, thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish, spat out, goes and preaches. Um, a few weeks ago, we saw that the book of Jonah is slightly more than just that. What we have in the book of Jonah is a message from God for his people, Israel. And this is going to be important today, and hopefully you'll, you'll see this. If you can keep in mind today that God is speaking through Jonah to his people Israel, you'll see that Jonah becomes a picture of what was going on in Israel among God's people at that time. And the story itself is like a parable that is the message. So we're going to see that. Last last time we saw that Jonah... Uh, Set off. God said, go to Nineveh. God, uh, Jonah said, no, I'm going to Tarshish, and went off that way. Um, and there was this big storm, and we thought last time that at first Jonah sounds quite brave when he says, throw me into the sea. But actually what he's really saying is, I'd rather die than do what God said. Of course, what Jonah should have done is said, turn the boat round, let's go to Nineveh, that's where I'm supposed to go. But actually, Jonah said, no, throw me into the sea. And we're going to read what happens next, but it's a little bit complicated. It does take some thought. You see, we pick up Jonah inside the belly of a big fish. But he did not go straight from the boat into the belly. Not like all the children's books, which have a big smiley whale. And Jonah doesn't even get wet, right? Jonah just goes straight from the boat into the belly of the fish. Actually, what happened is quite different. And you only discover that when you hear Jonah in the fish talking about what happened to him. So I'm going to read it now and see if you can pick up what actually happened to Jonah between the boat and the fish. Something happened to him. Right, let's, uh, let me read it and see if you can pick it up as we go. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish, this is the end of chapter 1, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he, he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet 
I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We've got to know, we've got to work out what happens between the boat and the belly of the fish. So we're going to pray now and ask that God would help. We're going to ask that God, by his spirit, would reveal things to us that we could never work out on our own. We need his help. And then we'll explore it together. Let's pray. Father, please help us. You are the same God that this story is about. The same God that Jonah prayed to. From the belly of that fish, he prayed. And we, in this room, we pray to you, the same God, Jonah's God, and say, Lord, please, help us to understand. Please, even now, would you pour out your spirit that we might know you and see you as you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in order to um, help us to grasp this, I want you to imagine three buckets Right, big buckets. There's one here, there's one here in the middle, and then there's one over here. And these buckets are empty buckets. But by the end of this sermon, I hope that those buckets will be filled, 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 (laughs) full. There it is. We're going to try and fill these buckets up with content, with information that will help us to know God more. And the three buckets are set out for us in verse 2. They're not called buckets, but the three themes of this prayer are all there in verse 2. See if you can see them. Here's Jonah. He prays to God. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. The first bucket is called distress. What was Jonah's distress? What did that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean to be distressed? The second bucket is calling. Jonah called out to God. What does that mean? We're going to fill up that bucket. What does it mean to call on God? And the third bucket is answered. He answered me. What does it mean that God would answer Jonah? Distress, called, answered. That's where we're heading. It's very, very simple. And there are those three words, in case you forget. And now we've gone too far. Oh, hooray. Right. So let's start with distress. Jonah says, in my distress, I call to you. Now, wait. What we must not do is fill up the bucket with what we think distress is. See, that would be a mistake. We say, oh, I know about distress. 
I've been distressed. I know what it feels like to feel distressed. And we start chucking our distress into the distress bucket. No, we need to let Jonah fill up the distress bucket. What was his distress? That's what we're trying to work out. What was going on? At the moment the bucket's empty, let's start to fill it. What was Jonah experiencing that was so bad that he would call it distress? Well, we're going to look at two things in this distress bucket. Firstly, he is experiencing death. That's what he's experiencing. Look at the second half of verse 2. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Jonah does not go from the boat to the belly. Jonah goes from the boat to the realm of the dead. That's what he says. That's where he says he went. To the place of death. It's pretty striking language. And in order to fill that out a bit, in order to give us a poetic understanding of what that means, jump down to verse 5. This is, listen to him describing. This is what happened to me. Try and picture this language. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. Isn't that powerful language? The roots of the mountains. We tend to look at the tops of the mountains and go, wow, look at those powerful mountains. Aren't they so big? But you go down to the deepest, deepest place, to the very root of the mountain, to the place where the mountain is rooted. You can't get lower. As Jonah is thrown from the boat, he sinks down, down, down to the very deepest place imaginable. He sinks down to the place where he is barred in forever. Seaweed around his head, engulfed, surrounded, like, like the bandages of the grave wrapped around him. Jonah goes to the place of death. That's what he means when he talks about distress. He thought that running away from God was going to bring him life. He thought, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to do what God says. I want to go my way. I want to do the things I want. And so he pursues his own agenda. He pursues his own thoughts. But it's not life. He finds himself ultimately in the place of death. But if that was all it said about the distress, that would be bad. But verse 3, this death theme takes quite a, quite a powerful turn. Look at verse 3 with me. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Let me ask you this question. Who threw Jonah into the sea? Well, we know. The, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea. It says so back in chapter 1, verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. The sailors threw him overboard. But when Jonah's in the belly of the fish, what does he say? Jonah says to God, it was you. 
You did this. You hurled me into the place of death. So it isn't just that Jonah, you know, in a series of unfortunate events, ends up in a place of death. It is that Jonah is put there. He is hurled there by God. Does that bother you? Do you have a God, do you have a view of God that is big enough that he could be a God who would hurl someone into the depths of the sea? Or have we made God too small? Have we made God too much in our image? Have we made God too small? That God would never do something like that because God is nice. Because God is love. And love means that God says, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, okay, don't worry about it. That's not what God is like. The Bible says that he's holy and he's pure and he's king. And he gave a command to Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said no to God and Jonah ran from God. And so God rightly punished Jonah and hurled him into the place of death. Jonah knows that his distress that he experienced was because God punished him. I think we have far too small a view of God and far too small a view of what we do when we say no to God. At the time when Jonah was having this experience, remember, here's a message for Israel. What were Israel doing? They were busy saying no to God. They were busy worshipping other gods, loving other things, bowing down to other idols. They gave their affection and their worship and their time and their resources to other things, not to the God of the universe, but to other gods. And the message of Jonah is that to reject God, to run away from God, will always lead you to the place of death. Now, if that was all we're told about God, I think that would be very troubling. It would be fair, it would be just, but we'd say, well, where's his love? Just wait, wait, wait. You'll never understand his love until you understand the bucket called distress. So this distress that Jonah experienced was a death. Did Jonah actually die? I don't know. But it sounds a lot like he came as close to death as you can possibly get. It was death. But not only was it death, this distress, we're just building up this distress bucket. We're filling it with content. It was death, but it was also what I want to call exile. That's the other picture in the passage. There is a death, but there's also an exile. Look at what he says in verse 4. This is what he said when he's there in the distress. He says, I have been banished from your sight. That is, I'm now in a place of exile. I've been sent away. Now, there's heavy irony here, right? Because what was it Jonah wanted in chapter 1? What Jonah wanted in chapter 1 was to run away from the presence of God. Jonah wanted to be away from God. Jonah wanted to get away. 
That was where he thought happiness lay. That's where he thought everything would be better. If I could just get away from God, then suddenly I won't have to be a slave anymore and it won't be miserable. I could just be free. Jonah chapter 1, I want to be away from God. Jonah chapter 2, I am away from God. I've been banished from your sight. And what you discover in the Bible is that God gives Jonah over to that which he chose. And when humanity chooses to run away from God and chooses a life without God, the Bible says you will be given over by God to the choice that you made. You chose a life without God and you discover you've been banished from his sight. It is always the case that when humanity sins, when humanity runs from God, they are exiled, banished. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And guess what's about to happen to Israel? Here they are, bowing down to their idols, ignoring God, saying no to God, worshipping their idols. Guess what's about to happen? They're about to go into exile. God says, you have chosen year after year after year to ignore me, to live without me, to live with other gods. And now you will live without me. You will be sent away from the land. You will be sent far away. But when you get there, it will not be the place of freedom and joy that you think it's going to be. It will be a place where suddenly you discover that everything good that you ever had was from God. And now he's gone. I'm loading this up because I want us to see the distress that Jonah is talking about. This is more than just this is more than just the distress when things go wrong in life. This is the distress that comes as a result of sin. Okay, we're going to come back to Jonah in a second. Don't worry about turning here. I want you to listen to something. I'm going to read you some words. And I want you now to feel the weight. Let that bucket hit you as, I hear, as you hear these words. Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You see, what Jonah experienced in the depths of the ocean is the distress that Jesus experienced when he died on a cross. As Jesus died on the cross, he experienced death. He was hurled into death. When Jesus died on the cross, he experienced exile, abandonment, forsakenness. But Jonah deserved it. But Jesus didn't. Because Jesus did it for you. But we're running ahead. Oh, we're running ahead because we need to do the second bucket. 
Hold that thought in your head that Jesus experienced the death. We're coming back to it. Right, let's move to the second bucket. Remember the second bucket, right? That was the longest bucket, the deepest, biggest bucket. Distress. Here's the second bucket. That is calling. You see, what did Jonah do when he got to the place of the depths of the dead? He did what up until this point in the story he had refused to do. He prayed. For the first time in the story, he prayed. Not from the belly of the fish. That's when he's remembering. That's when he's thanking God. He prayed when he was here at the absolute depths in the place of the dead, in exile, banished from God's sight. He prayed. Back in chapter 1, in the storm he hadn't prayed. Even the pagan sailor had said to him, Jonah, get up and pray. But he never prayed because he wasn't trying to call on God. He was trying to run away from God. But now, only now has he got to the place of absolute brokenness. Only now has he got to the place where he admits, I was wrong. You've punished me. You've hurled me into the depth of sea. And he calls on God. So here's the language. I called. Verse verse 2 again. I called for help. You listened to my cry. Do you hear it? Calling. Crying. That's what you do when you're in trouble. We were on holiday a few years ago in Devon. We were staying in this little house wasn't ours, but we uh, have used it a few times. And as we went uh, through the gate towards the front door, we heard this little voice go, "Help!" It was very. It was one of those voices. You think, did some? Did I just hear someone shout, "Help!" I don't know. So we sort of ignored it, <laughs> in a kind of compassionate, generous sort of way. But it came again, "Help!" And we were like looking around, and we could, all of us could hear it. But we couldn't see anything. Hell. And um, we began to get a bit panicked. Because like someone is clearly in distress. But I can't. It's like this little suburb of Devon. Where nice sunny. I can't see what's wrong. Help. Help. More and more distressed. And then, they, then it went. You. Standing in the drive. Help. Like it can see us. Whatever this thing is, it can see us. That means we're going to have to do something. And we were like, where are you, voice? (laughs) And this little voice went, I'm in the porch next door. And it was this little kid whose parents had gone out. The front door was deadlocked. He'd come into the porch. The door had shut behind him, and he was stuck in the porch. He'd been there for a couple of hours. (laughs) I had no way of getting out. Help, help. So we posted him some sandwiches through the letterbox and <laughs> went on our way. Now we found his mom and it was all fine. But look, calling is what you do when you're in trouble. My guess is that calling is not the first thing that kid did. Right? The first thing you do is you say, right, let me see if I can find a way out of this. I'll try the doors. Now it doesn't work. I'll try opening something. No, the windows won't work. Can I fit through the letterbox? No, that's not going to work. You try loaded, and it's only when you realize there is nothing left that you can do, only when you realize you're at the end of yourself, only then do you call for help. That's where Jonah is. He's at an end of himself. He's got nothing left. He's in the lowest place. He has no power. He can do nothing. He's about to die, and then he cries, and he says, God, help me. 
But verse 4, he puts it in a slightly different way. So calling, we're filling up this bucket in the middle. Calling, but look how he puts it in verse 4. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. He suddenly starts talking about the temple. You get again in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, there it is, I'm virtually dead. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Why does he suddenly start talking about the temple? Well, it's because of a very, very, very special promise that God had made. Just... um, Come in your Bibles to um, to the book of Chronicles. And we're going to go for um, 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, page 439. <clears throat> okay, page... Actually, page 440, just flick over one. Listen to what God, listen to what Solomon prayed. When he built the temple, listen to what the temple was about. Remember, this is a message to Israel. We'll come to this. Jonah is a picture of Israel. So look at verse 36. Solomon's praying. He says, when they sin against you, that's God's people. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin... And you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. That's exile. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken... And pray towards the land you gave their ancestors, towards the city you've chosen, and towards the temple that I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you. Now, my God, may your ears be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You see, this was always the plan, that when God's people sinned against him and ended up in the place of exile, there was a way that they could turn back towards the temple and pray. And when they prayed towards the temple, it was a reconnection between them and God. Here's Jonah. He's legged it away from God. He's been banished from God's sight. He's cut off and in the place of death. But as he lifts his eyes, he reconnects. That's what it means to have faith. It means to call on him or to lift our eyes and to reconnect with the God who made us. That's what Jonah did in the depths of the sea. It's not clever. It's not powerful. It's not pretty. It's not impressive. It's not some work where you say special words. It is the simple help of someone who knows they've got nothing left. That's what faith is. That's what calling on God means. That is what this bucket looks like. 
And so the message of Jonah to God's people Israel who are about to be sent into exile is this. When you find yourself in exile, when you find yourself in the place of death, pray. Pray. Turn your eyes again to the holy temple. Turn your eyes again to God. Reconnect. Turn to him. This challenges our pride. We like to think we can find an open door. We like to think we can find a window that we can crawl through. We like to think we can save ourselves. We like to think we can swim out of the depths and find life ourselves. But you can't, you can't, you can't. You cannot save yourself. It is only God. And it's only when you know that, that you will call on him. Have you called on him? Have you ever called on God and said, help me? I'm sorry. Some people here might think that they've gone too far. They might think they've done too much that's wrong. They might feel like they're a failure. Some of you may even be Christians, and, uh, but you know you've failed. You know you've screwed up. You know in the last few weeks or whatever, you've really blown it. You've really messed up. And you feel like, is there any grace left for me? You feel like you're far away. You feel like you're lost. You feel like there may not be any hope left. And Jonah says to you, stop. Lift your eyes. Look again. Call on him. And we don't now lift our eyes just to a physical temple. We lift our eyes to Jesus, the one who came to carry our distress, the one who came to suffer the punishment we deserve, the death we deserve, the exile we deserve. Lift your eyes and look to him. If you've stopped looking at Jesus, please, I beg of you today, lift your eyes, look to him again. If you're trying to fix your problems yourself, if you're trying to save yourself, if there's a battle that you're trying to fight on your own, you have to stop. You have to give up trying to fix yourself and you have to admit that without Jesus you are nothing and you need him. Lift your eyes and call on him. And in one sense it's humbling, but in another sense it's the most simple thing in the world. Anyone in this room can do that. If I told you that to be saved, you had to obey this list of rules, some of you couldn't do that. If I told you you had to pass an exam, some of you couldn't do that. But there's not one person in this room who can't say, help me. The book of Jonah is there to teach us that when we find ourselves in a place of distress because of our sin, we call on him. You call. And that brings us to the third bucket, which really is the most beautiful bucket of all. And that is that when you call, he answers. I have to confess, if you call my mobile phone, it's pretty hit and miss. It might just be that for some obscure reason I've got it on noisy and it's vibrating my pocket and I answer it. But often I don't. I miss calls. God never does. In fact, I think one of the most beautiful and powerful things in this chapter is I called to the Lord and he answered me. 
I called for help and you listened to my cry. It's like God, the God who, yes, hurled Jonah into the sea. But as he hurls Jonah into the sea, he's like, but I'm ready. I'm ready. The moment you call, the moment you turn to me, I'm ready. The moment you call my name, I'm like, yes, I'm here. God doesn't say to Jonah, well, why should I help you? Prove yourself to me. He is quick to forgive. He is quick to come to help. And Jonah is here dying in the depths of the sea. And as soon as, as soon as he calls, God saves. God sends the fish. And then's the big smiley fish come, right? Safe. Doesn't feel entirely safe, I know. But the fish is the salvation. The fish is the means by which God is going to take Jonah from the depths to the dry land. The fish is the place where Jonah sits there and goes, I'm saved. He's shouting for joy in the fish, right? Can you imagine the fish? Going, man, what is going on in there? God is so quick, so quick to forgive, so quick to hear. And that is why Jonah, at the end, starts to preach this message to to Israel from the belly of the fish. (laughs) Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Why does Jonah start talking about idols? Because he's got Israel in mind. What are Israel doing? They're clinging to idols. They think their idols are going to save them. They think their idols are going to give them life. They think their idols are going to give them peace. And Jonah says, you keep clinging to them. You're going to find yourself in a place of exile and death. They're not going to save you. If you cling to those, you will miss out on the love of God. But if you will let go of those idols, and if you will call on God, then you will experience his extraordinary love, his extraordinary salvation. He will save you. Save you from what? From distress. From death. From exile. So that death no longer has a hold on you. So that you will never be banished from his sight. That is what salvation means. No more distress. And Jonah says, stop clinging to your idols. And embrace God's salvation. And so Jonah's there shouting with grateful praise, making sacrifices. I don't know how he's sacrificing. Perhaps he finds another dead fish in the belly of the thing. He's like, I'll sacrifice that. He's like, I just want to, oh, I, I want to worship because you saved me. And that's what saved people do. And then he makes this amazing statement salvation comes. From the Lord. When Jonah gets puked up on the dry land, he's not coming with an extraordinary story of his heroism or his courage or the rescue that or his swimming. He's coming with a story that God saved me. God did it all. Jonah's contribution was to call for help. That was it. 
God did it all. God saves completely. It is God who saves, not us. And the moment we call, God saves. So as we bring all this to a close, as we apply these three buckets, I don't think there are many of us in this room who cling to idols like little statues and things. I don't think there's many of us who've got rows of statues that we cling to. But most of us in this room, all of us in this room, have things that we think are going to save us. Have things that we think are going to satisfy us. Have things that we think are going to set us free. All I need to be happy is this job, this relationship, this career, this amount of money, this holiday, this, this, this. And we pursue stuff saying, I can do it. I can grab it. I can get it. And we cling on to stuff so tight. And all the time we're running away from the one God who loves you and sent his son to save you. What is it that you are clinging to today? What is it that you are holding tightly to that you say, I will not let this go? Because if Jonah were here today, and he is in the pages of his book, if Jonah were here today, he'd say, that thing you're clinging to will take you to a place of distress. It will take you to a place of death and to a place of exile from God. It will take you to a place of punishment forever. Are you seriously going to cling to that thing when over here is a God who says all you have to do is call and I'll save you? And if you're anything like me, you have to learn this lesson over and over and over again. Other things come along and we grab them and we think, oh, this, 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 this. And God says, no, come back. So maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, what is God calling you right now to let go of and to call on him? What is it? It may be something you're only just playing with at the moment, but it will take you to death and exile. What is he calling you to let go so that you can know him, to lift your eyes to him, to be reconnected. And the book of Jonah is in the Bible to say, God's not finished with you. You may have failed, but he's not finished with you because God has a plan. He's stuck, sticking to his plan and he is going to use you. And just like Jonah failed but was restored, so can you.